So when you're praying for something and asking for the Lord's help and being patient and waiting on him and holding out hope, and it seems like nothing is happening, there's no forward movement, the things aren't being fixed, the prayers aren't being answered, it's easy to feel, as we've said in this series, this is the third of three, that God is not listening. It's easy to feel like when there's no forward movement, our prayers are bouncing off the walls, not going any further, things aren't being fixed. It's easy to feel like God is inattentive to us, like he's showing up too late. And you know what makes this feeling even worse for us? (laughs) When we know that not only are we depending on the Lord, waiting for him to answer, waiting for him to do what only he can, that, that we likewise are doing what we can. In those moments where we're being patient, holding out hope, but you're also doing your part. When you're trying to fix things, you're doing what you can. When you're the one who's spending the money, going to the doctor, changing your diet, trying to mend the relationship, when we're doing what we can to keep up our end of the bargain, it makes it feel like when God doesn't answer our prayers and give us forward movement, it makes us feel even more frustrated and like God is not cooperating. Like God isn't keeping up his end of the bargain. We've all experienced this in life. It's not uncommon. It's a part of the human experience. And there are a couple ways to go with this. (laughs) One is to stick with the circumstances and let God teach us through them. One is to step out of the circumstances and to be further away from a relationship with God. And to say to him functionally, I've got this. I'm going to do this on my own. We want to be people who stick with the circumstances and let God teach us, even when it's hard, even when it's frustrating, even when it feels like answers don't come, even when it feels like we're doing our part and God is uncooperative in it. Because there's a larger purpose and plan going on in our lives and in the world. even when it feels like God's not cooperating. I want to tell you about a family in England uh, whose four-year-old daughter um, has been suffering from stage four cancer of the nervous system. Uh, Some of you maybe have seen this on Facebook. It's made the rounds quite a bit. Her name is Jessica Whalen, a family of four. And Jessica's father, Andy, is a photographer. And just a couple weeks ago on Facebook, he shared a pretty distressing picture Um, that captures sort of the despair that this family feels in the middle of this little four-year-old's cancer. Uh, And I want to share this picture with you because it is a picture for us of that feeling that God isn't keeping up his part of the bargain. It's a pretty distressing picture, frankly. It's a sad picture. It's a picture of this four-year-old's body being ravaged by a disease that we all know four-year-olds shouldn't have to deal with. Listen to what Andy wrote. This is her dad, the photographer, who said this. This is the true face of cancer. My baby girl's blood vessels protruding, protruding from beneath her skin, a solitary tear running down her cheek, Her body stiffened and her face contorted in pain. This photograph was made in a moment that we as parents could offer her no comfort. 
her pushing us away while she rode out the searing pain in solitude. This family has been fighting. They've been fighting hard against this disease that is ravaging her body. They've held her while she hurts. They've told her they love her. They've spoken words of encouragement to her. They've prayed for the Lord's help. They've done everything they can. They have sought out the best possible medical help available. They've done everything that they can to fix this situation, but nothing seems to help. It feels for them like God is being uncooperative. Just a few hours ago, this little four-year-old breathed her last breath this morning. Friends, that is tough. Death is real. Bodies don't work right. (laughs) The sin of the world affects everything. And if you've ever been in a season where it feels like God is uncooperative, it can be extremely discouraging. And if you stay in that season of feeling like God's not doing his part, like he's not keeping up his part of the bargain, it can be real easy if you're in that season long enough to wonder and to doubt and to ask questions like, if there really is a God, if you really are there, then why won't he, why won't you, Lord, answer my prayer? I mean, if you are really there and you really have all power and you really love me and care for me, here I am waiting for you to do something about it. This is a question Jessica's family has been asking. I know this is a question I've asked. I know that this is a question many of us have wrestled with in various kinds of ways. I just had a conversation with someone who shared that in a long season of feeling like God was being uncooperative, that she was praying with her hands sort of around God's throat, pleading, why aren't you answering my prayer? Why aren't you doing what I know you can do? Have you ever felt like God was absent when you were present? Like He's not giving answers when you're doing your part? We all experience that in lots of different ways. The illness or disease that doesn't go away the job that isn't coming, the relationship that isn't being reconciled, the spouse that isn't changing, the kid who rejects your way of life, that impossible situation at work, the friend or the family member who is far from God seems to just keep getting farther away, the child you've prayed and hoped for that never comes or that doesn't make it, Friends, we've all experienced this at some level. We've all felt like God was not holding up his end of the bargain. And of all the people we could name who have struggled with this question, of all the people who struggled with God feeling uncooperative, there's one in the Bible, there's a guy in the Bible who is one of the most likely not to struggle with this issue. I mean, this is a guy who was all in for Jesus. He did amazing things for the Lord. 
He took the gospel to the Gentiles. He started at least 14 something up to 20 plus churches. He wrote 13 of our 27 New Testament books. Most people think that after Jesus himself, the Apostle Paul is the most significant person in the history of all Christianity. This is a guy that was all in. And not only was he proactively involved, this was a guy who suffered reactively in lots of ways in his life. Paul did his time. He did his work. He put in his part of the bargain. Of all the people who have suffered, he is one of the ones who we would think deserves suffering the least. Five times he was whipped 40 minus one lashes. Three times beaten with rods. He was put in prison over and over again. He was stoned and left for dead. Shipwrecked so that he had to spend an entire night and day adrift at sea. This is a guy who endured more than most of us could even fathom. All in for Jesus. And even he wonders. Lord, why aren't you answering my prayer? I'm doing my part. I'm working hard. But it seems like you're not keeping up your end of the bargain. That's a real feeling. That's a real struggle. And so he talks about that struggle here in 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. And the lesson that Paul wants to relate to us here is a massively important thing to understand about the Christian life. It's a counterintuitive point. It's different than we think it should be. But it's a point about how the kingdom of God moves forward in weakness, moves forward in a way that is far different than we think. Jump in at the verse 7 there in 2 Corinthians 12. It says, so to keep me from becoming conceited, this is Paul speaking here, and I'll give you some context about verse 7, because it starts in the middle of a larger section. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. So verse 7 here, Paul has just been, as he calls it, foolishly boasting about his own spiritual experiences, because there were some people around him who were opposing his work, who were creating turmoil in the church. Uh, So he says... Uh, to them, I'm boasting about these spiritual experiences even though it's foolish to because it brings me uh, no, no, no positive gain. He says at the beginning of verse 7 here, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of those revelations, in order to keep him humble, verse 7, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. So whatever this was, was pretty annoying. Whatever this thorn in the flesh was, was pretty annoying. We don't know exactly what it is, uh, but we know a little bit about the feeling and the experience of it. The thorn in the flesh can be also translated, that word thorn, as stake, S-T-A-K-E, like what you hammer into the ground to secure a tent. To, to put it nicely, it's also other things um, that are more agonizing and gruesome. Most think this was some sort of probably a physical ailment or problem for Paul, some sort of physical hindrance, uh, a severe eye problem, a stomach problem, maybe even epilepsy. Some think it might be non-physical, like perhaps leftover guilt because he persecuted the church before he became a believer. Uh, Maybe it's sorrow for his own people, the Israelites, who had rejected uh, the Messiah. Maybe it was a continuing temptation he had. Maybe, maybe his thorn was those who opposed him and created turmoil in the church. We don't know what it was, but whatever it was, what we know is that it tormented him. It wasn't just slightly annoying. 
This wasn't mild headaches every once in a while. This was something that was a consistent torment for him. So, of course, naturally, (laughs) Paul, a guy who's all in for Jesus, who has suffered many things for the sake of the gospel, asked for the Lord to remove this thorn. Look at verse 8. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. When, so, when Paul says here, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, this isn't just like three times in a day at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Uh, I prayed, you know, Jesus, take this away. And hmm, it's like 7.30 at night, it's time to go to bed, and it's not gone, so I guess I'll stop praying about it. This is, this is not just like three separate times. This is three seasons of Paul begging the Lord to get rid of it. Three seasons of extended prayer. This is, please, Lord, I'm absolutely begging you. I have no resources. I cannot make this happen for myself. I have tried everything. And I'm, and I'm asking you to do what I know you can do and what I've seen you do for other people. Just do it for me, please. Please. It would make things so much easier. It would make my ministry on your behalf much easier, right? Like, let's get rid of this so I can do more work for you. But the answer, verse 9, was basically, nope, not, not going to do it, <laughs> not getting rid of it. Verse 9, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, verse 9, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. For my power is made perfect in weakness. That's the counterintuitive in turn that we don't expect. <laughs> We've been told from day one, self-sufficiency, having the right resources, being smart enough, being crafty enough, and how you use those resources, that your human ingenuity and power is going to be what moves you, and then we also assume the kingdom forward. But he says at the end of verse 9, my power is made perfect in weakness. Friends, God has bigger purposes than we do. That sounds clearly a duh thing to say, like, no duh, it's obvious. But to live from that truth is something we continue to understand the rest of our days. God has bigger purposes than we do. Wait, 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 God. I thought I was trusting for you to to fix my problem. I came to you in prayer assuming that you were going to fix my problem. (laughs) Actually, God says, "My, my grace is enough for you. It's efficient for you. It's what you need. This is what you need really in the midst of this hardship and difficulty where there's not forward movement. Which means we have to continue to learn to trust in God's higher purpose, His more important plan than even our personal ease and comfort. I know this doesn't sound like a fun lesson, but but just think about Jesus on the cross. The cross is a picture of weakness. Nobody thought that God was going to send a Messiah who was going to come and die. God doesn't die. God doesn't die. 
He comes in power and he comes riding on a horse and he, he says, I'm here to take over my world. Thank you very much. He will do that someday. But so far he's done it on a cross. Which is a picture of weakness that makes known God's power. Can you imagine the kind of trust that the son had to have in the father? In that moment where he knew, I'm about to die. And all these people, all these people are going to think, well, that didn't work. Jesus had to place trust, just like we do, in the higher purposes of God's plan. And the higher purposes of God's plan are to make himself known. We think our lives are about making us known, about us receiving glory, about us having everything we need in worldly terms for comfort and ease and luxury. But, but that's not actually why we exist. That's not actually how you, how you have joy. <laughs> we have to trust in God's higher purpose of making God's glory known. Which is why he says this, the next phrase here. Look at verse 9. Therefore, because of what he just said, therefore because God's power is made perfect or complete and shown in weakness. Another way to say that is because God's, God's goodness is communicated through weakness. I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that for the purpose of the power of Christ resting upon me. This is hard truth, friends. This is hard truth. God's plans for himself take precedent over our plans for ourselves. Knowing that can help us when it's hard, but it's a hard truth. God's plans for himself take precedent over our plans for ourselves. So that we would boast all the more gladly of our weaknesses, so the power of Christ may rest in us. Look at verse 10. He concludes, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses and insults and hardships, and persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul talks about this dynamic of the kingdom moving forward in weakness instead of our perceived understanding of what power should be in a bunch of different places in the New Testament. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians 1.18. We'll put this on screen for you here. Uh, this is a great verse. For the word of the cross, in other words, what the cross communicates for the word of the cross is folly. It sounds like foolishness to those who are perishing, to those who are uh, actually ultimately dying. But to us, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. It looks like Christ's death was defeat, but it was actually how God showed himself most glorious in defeating death. That's different than we think it should be. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, 7. This is a great verse. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Our bodies are the jars of clay that, um, that, uh, that break down easily. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not 
to us. Your suffering looks and feels like defeat, perhaps, but it can actually be how God shows himself most gloriously. That doesn't make sense to us in our human minds and thinking and economy. But friends, when we are faithful through suffering, we are most like Christ. Because then we are being used by God to show that dependence upon Him is the only way to truly live. I have three words that I suggest you take home with you today. (laughs) And they don't make sense to us in our world of self-sufficiency, in our human economy, but they are that we are called to embrace the weakness. Embrace the weakness. Your weakness is perhaps how God has called you to move His kingdom forward. Listen, I don't like standing up and telling you I'm a pastor who struggles with depression. I've always not liked saying that. Uh, But it's something that's true that I struggle with a lot. Don't worry, I'll smile and be nice to you afterwards. But I can be an Eeyore a lot of the time. I just see a lot of negativity around me and I struggle with it constantly in myself too. I don't like standing up and saying it, but I know that it's something that a whole bunch of people experience. When I talk about my struggles, people go, oh, me too. Perhaps your weakness, perhaps the ways in which you don't measure up, are exactly how God wants to use you to communicate His goodness and glory. Because, friends, we are most like Christ when our weakness becomes a strength, as Paul has said. We are most like Christ when our weakness becomes a strength that God can use to deepen our relationship with Him, to teach us His character and nature and to be formed in us through it, and to communicate His glory. That's the crazy thing about all this. It's counterintuitive, but the kingdom moves forward in weakness. I want to close by showing you a uh, two-minute video clip um, of a young man who, by the world's standards, is what we might call weak. Um, But he has embraced who God made him to be and the seeming weakness of his circumstances to communicate with great strength. I'm sure you'll agree with me by the end of the two minutes. With great strength, who God is and what God has done for him. Let's watch this. Hello, I'm Ryan Pittman. Here's my testimony. I grew up in a prison home I believe in Jesus about four years ago. I asked him to be my savior. I was baptized at, at church. It 
was a great day. Everyone clapped. Because of Jesus, I have a third heart full of His love. The Holy Spirit helps me make good choices. God is teaching me not to fuss with Mama Daddy. <laughs> God made all of us different. Um, I am different because. I have an adult syndrome. But God also made us all the same. We all need God. Thank you. So here's this young man with Down syndrome. <clears throat> who is a little hard to understand, <laughs> so they have to literally place on screen the words so that we can understand. In other words, this is not the sort of person most of us would pick to be a, a verbal, on-stage communicator of the love of God. <laughs> but isn't it a good thing that you and I are in charge? of who gets picked and how to make known God's glory and His love. Because that's a process we'd mess up. He says, we're all the same. <laughs> we all need God. Which is to say, we are all in this place of brokenness and weakness and struggle where each one of us has this thing, these circumstances, many things that for us feel like hindrances to forward movement in the world and in terms of being used by God. <laughs> but the wisdom of the cross, the amazing thing that God did in Jesus was he, he turned the tables and He said, actually, actually, what you see as weakness, I will use as a strength because that will form character in you and could be the way that you communicate God's love to a world that needs to know Him. Friends, we are most like Christ when our weakness becomes a strength. So embrace the weakness. Let's pray.